And you're the one who put words in our mouth that we may speak when we can't even speak. And Father, you're the one, whether we recognize it or not, who gives us the very next breath. And for this, Lord, we give you thanks. For Lord, just like in the very beginning, is going to be the end. For when we look at Genesis, Lord, God fashioned a body. And then he breathed in life. And Lord, at the very end, when we take our last breath, the body will lie there. Just like it did in the very beginning. Because God has taken that last breath. He has withdrawn that breath. But Lord, we can say thank you, Lord. Because we are a people who know absent from the body will be present with the Lord. We know that, Lord, you've already numbered our days. And, Lord, as long as you have a task for us to perform, that, Lord, you will strengthen us that we might perform it. And, Lord, we just thank you, O God, that we are kept in the hollow of your hand. And you're the one who holds us, Lord. And, Father, we just praise you because, Lord, we can say, as Paul said, that for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain, that, Lord, we're living for you. And, Lord, we praise you for it. We live for you. We move for you. We speak for you. And, Lord, we give you thanks. May you minister to us as we open up your word today. May you minister to us through the power of your spirit. And may you help us to dig some of the nuggets out that maybe, Lord, we read over and over, but, Lord, we just didn't catch it that way. May we see it anew and afresh, and may you minister to us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to continue on protecting society, society from Jesus. That, 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 that we're protecting. And you see it in so many ways. Well, one of the big things talked about this week is what the president did. Trump eases IRS rules on churches. He said he just eases. He eases it. He makes it more relaxed than what it was. Now, just think with me for a moment. We've all heard about the cathedral. And IRS basically shut it down for volunteer work. For people volunteering out there and not getting paid or not paying staff or whatever the argument may be, both were being involved. But yet, one of the biggest institutions that make all kind of money but because it is a 5034 or 504 or whatever, it's hospitals. And hospitals have all kind of volunteers. All kind of volunteers. IRS says, with a volunteer, the difference between a volunteer and a salary worker or a paid worker, a paid worker, you can direct them on what they're going to do. You can tell them what time to be there and what time they're going to leave. But a volunteer, you can't do that. (laughs) That's the difference in IRS rules. A volunteer can come when they want to come. 
leave when they want to leave. And a volunteer can tell you, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) And IRS rules make it very much so there. And as I was reading this, I was saying, boy, the government does have a lot of control over which way it wants to deal with. With those in whom it gives favor to. For the restaurant was not under the church's exemption clause. It was a profit-making. But yet hospitals are one of the biggest profit-makings that there is. And yet, what oftentimes what we miss is this here. What you say in public can hurt you. I remember one time, two friends of mine was out to dinner, and uh, my cousin was with us also. And my friends had this thing of coming off the top rope. You know, they're always going to come off the top rope. Or, or they're going to do this. And when my cousin had a chance when we was in line, she came over to me because she was a social worker. And she asked me, she said, are those two women scared of their husband?" Because I can call now and have their husbands picked up and they can go home without fear. <laughs> and I tried to tell them to. <laughs> y'all stop saying that out in public. Y'all going to come off the top rope. <laughs> oh, y'all going to do this. <laughs> because eventually, somebody's going to take you seriously. And you're going to be arrested until your wives can explain That's just joking. And that whole process, what you say, can cause you to be in trouble in public. And Christians today, what we say can cause us sometimes to be in trouble. Just like one was sharing with us in Sunday school about her work and so forth. What you say can cause you to be in trouble. And as Christians, sometimes we're becoming more cautious of that because of so-called, quote-unquote, society rules or government rules that are in place. So even when I'm in the pulpit, I have to be careful how I speak about a gay lifestyle. Because churches will be sued in a minute over that issue. So in our insurance thing, the pastors, we're covered for X amount of thousands of dollars just in case we cause somebody some emotional trauma by what we say because we can be sued as a church. What you say can get you in trouble. In Matthew 14, 3-4, it says, Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of this woman he was staying with or his wife, Herodias. And what he was saying, go a little further with me. Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Now, if you don't recognize something, both of these men are her uncles. 
they're her uncles. She married the first one, Philip, then the second one. They're both her uncles. And it goes a little further, and it says, For John had been saying, what did it say? John has been saying. John has been saying, but he was a, to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. It's not lawful or it's not right for you to have her. And, and therefore, even the government has said, it's wrong for you to say to a gay person, this is the wrong lifestyle for you. It's the wrong lifestyle for you. And it has caused us to be very cautious how we speak. Because if you say the wrong thing, that person can sue you for emotional damage. And therefore, even in school, you can no longer say to a child, a young boy who thinks he's a young girl, a young girl who thinks he's a boy, you can't correct that. What you say can get you into trouble. Remember what we talked about a little bit last week by Karl Marx and three of his points against religion and, and the whole issue with one of them, that boy, religion caused you to just what? Be in denial of reality? That Christians really don't face reality? But then his third point was simply this again. That Christianity or religion makes you a servant in such a way that you become more amendable to accept status quo. That whatever is out here in society, whatever is here that's pressing, that you're more amendable to accept that because you don't want to fight. You don't want to fight. You're willing to live under a suppressing type of government or dictatorship. It's kind of strange. Where you're opposing one thing, you do just the opposite. And you do it. And he says religion negates all that is dignified of a human being. And causes us to accept the status quo. I'll remind you of what I asked you last week. Have we come to a place where we're accepting the status quo? Have we come to a place to just accept because we don't want to fight or we don't want to argue or we don't want to take action against that? The Lord tells us to count the cost before we go to war. And you really do have to count the cost before you do something. Before you really take the action, you have to surmise in your mind what might be the worst scenario that will take place if you did take this action. You have to really look at it. And John the Baptist was not accepting status quo. He knew what he was called to do. But he would not accept status quo. And from him, hey, Herod, 
You're sinning. It's wrong. You shouldn't do that. You're breaking the law. God's law. And he would not accept status quo. And the one thing we have to ask about the church, how far will the church go in accepting status quo? How far will we go in our own personal lives in accepting status quo? We have come to a custom, we'll allow people just cuss around us all day long without saying anything. Because we don't want to get in an argument about their right of free speech. And that they have the ability to say whatever they want to say. And society and government says, accept status quo. The other week when President Trump was giving his little speech, one of the ladies brought out how many times he used a word of profanity. And that that was unacceptable of a president when he's addressing the nation. Lyndon Johnson cussed all the time. But when he spoke to the nation, you didn't hear it. When he addressed the nation, you didn't hear it. But anybody who stepped into the president's office and he got a little heated, they knew they were going to hear But he never said it in public. Never said it in public. He had disciplined himself to a point that he knew when to use it and when not to use it. And there's no such thing as an appropriate time to use it. But he had disciplined himself that way. And people sometimes just make it a habit. And they say, well, that's the way I talk. No, that's the way you have disciplined yourself. And you allow it. What is popular by society should be accepted by all is the rule today. If society accepts it, then we all should accept it. And the issue is we shouldn't complain about it. We shouldn't go against it. And have we reached that point where God's word has no place in our heart? Have we reached that point that God's word has no place in society? Have we reached a point that we cannot speak what is truth, God's truth. Have we come to that place that as long as you're in the church, you can say it. But don't say it outside the church. As long as we're in the church, you can challenge me on some things. But don't challenge me about my life and my character and how I live outside the church. The thing about a Christian is this. He's not a Christian just on Sunday morning. He's a Christian or she's a Christian 24-7. You don't stop being a Christian. And in John 8, it says, boy, Jesus said to the fair, you have no place in your heart for my word. And have we come to that place? Remember last week we also talked about the Establishment Clause, the Government Establishment Clause. That the government 
will not help to advance the church, but neither will it inhibit the advancement of a religion or a church. And that's the government's position, that it should not in any way do that. But yet we're seeing the government do what? Step in more and more and doing it based on the rule of this clause. Now, in Matthew eleven twelve, John, it's strange sometimes when you're reading in a text and, and something jumps up. And it may not just flow with the text, but the Holy Spirit has its purpose there. He says, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing or suffering violence. King James would say suffering violence. And the question would be, why would it be suffering violence? And then he says, which is a different phrase altogether. And forceful men lay hold of it. Forceful men lay hold of it. Two different types of forces. That is that play here. One is that the kingdom is advancing, but it's forcefully advancing. It has to fight. It has to fight. Oftentimes we wonder where this church and state separation thing came in. You can almost go back and really pinpoint it with Martin Luther. The whole issue with Martin Luther, the church was very involved with government prior to Martin Luther's somewhat break from it. They were considered one of the same. Because the king could not become a king without the Pope doing what? Placing that crown or recognizing. The two were the same. If you want to see it functioning, you look into many of our Arab countries and you will see the religion and the government are what? The same. The same. And in our larger Muslim countries, you will find whoever the president is, don't care even if they vote for him, cannot be confirmed until the religious group says that he is. And they see themselves the same. Therefore, in Islam, it is written in the Quran: when you first go into a country, you be quiet and you accept the law. But as you grow, you institute Sharia law. You begin to change it. You begin to change the government. Now, 
modern proponents, especially in the church, that would argue the issue of separation of church and state. And again, you will never find that in our Constitution. You'll never really find that anywhere written in the Constitution. Calvin held very, very strongly that the church's job was to raise up faithful men who could step into government and run government fairly. And his position was it was only the Christian who could treat everybody fairly. Only the Christian had the ability to treat everybody fairly. And the whole issue is that Luther, when he wrote on this, the doctrine of two kingdoms really recognized there was a kingdom of God and a kingdom of what? A man. And that those two sometime were going to be at odds with each other. And the Baptists, you're able to see what they took from Luther's statement and his doctrine of the separation of two kingdoms, they took it a step further, and you're able to see it in some of the groups today. That Anabaptists took it a step further, agreeing with Luther that there were two kingdoms. They agreed, pardon the word two, should be a W in there, but they agreed the two should be separate. They held to those who were baptized members, one, they should not vote. Why? They were people of another kingdom. And they should not be involved in this earthly kingdom. So their issue was, you shouldn't vote. The second thing, you should not be part of any military of any state. Does it sound familiar? But it stems from the Anabaptists making their rules off of the doctrine of Luther. And thirdly was, if you were a baptized member, the worst thing you could do was to hold political office. And sometimes the Christian church today, we still hold to that, don't we? That if you're really a Christian, you won't be involved in holding a political office. As a friend of mine said, everybody in politics has a forked tongue. They all lie. Yeah. No, they all don't lie. You know. But we have come to believe that. But what we need to do is understand, we need strong believers in politics. We need strong people sitting on the school board that are Christians. We need strong Christians being involved in policy making. And they say, nope, shouldn't serve. In the life of the believer, there are two authorities. Do you recognize that? One is representing the claims made by government. Politics. You have that one. And the Lord tells us to submit to that one to the government that rules over us. And you do have that government. And we need to recognize it. But we can also challenge that government. 
that when that government is wrong, we need to be able to point it out. And we need to be able to say it without fear of anything happening to us. We should be able to say it without the fear of being locked up. Now, there's a lot of men in China who are preaching, but they cannot say certain things out where? Out in public, because what would happen to them? There are men in Nigeria today that would love to be able to preach and say all the things they want to say, but if they say it, what would happen? They would be locked up. We have missionaries, intercultural workers, international workers. We have different names for them today. But if they were to speak without being asked about certain things, if they were just outrightly just start speaking on them, they could be locked up. But the country says, as long as you are asked by that individual a certain question, then you can answer it. But you do not have the right to just go up and just start trying to proselyte or to just share with them. With government, you can challenge. And I'm thankful that we can challenge. Because sometimes, as Travis has learned, I will challenge. <laughs> and I'll challenge the fire marshal. Or I'll challenge the building department. Or I'll challenge because that's my right to be able to challenge when it comes to certain rules about this building and to understand how the grandfather clause works and so forth. And if I did not have the right to challenge, boy, all the things that they would want us to do, we would not be able to afford to do them. To upgrade our kitchen and put in the type of kitchen they want. The cheapest is about $15,000. And then it can even climb from there. To upgrade our fire alarm system. Because it's old and it's outdated. But it's grandfathered in. Would cost us at least three to $4,000 to upgrade it just to do some upgrades on things that they would want becomes quite costly. And I'm thankful that we have the right to challenge. Now, sometimes we will win, sometimes you will lose, or sometimes you will also bring about a change. And that's what's good about a government that allows you to challenge. But understand, a lot of people live under a government that will not allow you to challenge. And we are constantly walking down that path. The second authority that you live under is that authority that claims to be the church or speaks on behalf of God. And that one of them are the higher authority. But you have to make up in your mind which one is the highest authority. 
Is it man or is it the church or God's word? Go to Acts 4.19 real quick with me. Because they had to make that decision. And they have people that they're answering to here that the government has put in place and says, okay, we'll let them rule over this part. The Sanhedrin or whatever you want to call them. But they're letting them rule. And in verse 19, it says, but Peter and John replied, judge for yourself whether is it right in God's sight to obey you or rather than God. How many of you heard this past week on news, this guy who called himself Jesus, who went into the people's house, broke in the house, laid on the bed, and the army folks prayed with him, but he called himself Jesus, and after they prayed with him, he left the house, he stole a golf cart, and he's riding down the street in his golf cart, and therefore when the sheriff finds him afterwards, he's telling the sheriff, he's Jesus. And he wanted to command them to do something. Now right at that point, those police officers had to make a decision. Is this man really Jesus or he's just off of here? Because in his mind at that point, he believed he was Jesus. And that they should obey him. But a decision had to be made. We're always making what? A decision. If this is of God or not. If this is of God or not. John the Baptist was in that position. Is this God or not? Is this ordained of God or not? And you can read those other verses. They just compile for themselves. And John is in prison because of his public statement against Herod. Now, churches today, if you keep up with news, and this is why I, I cut out magazine articles, I cut things out, and I save them. I think I got that from my dad. My dad said, anytime somebody's going to bet you on something, make sure you can win the bet before you bet. And he would have his magazine articles. He would have his paper art articles. He would have his book marked and so forth that he could win his point. And I remember when the Methodist pastor who married his gay son in the Methodist church and then the Methodist church took discipline against him and he won it in court and they had to reinstate him. They had to reinstate him as a Methodist pastor. I remember when the Episcopal Church and a friend of mine, Dan, we grew up together in the Catholic Church, but he, we both all accepted the Lord, about four or five of us at the same time accepted the Lord, and he wound up going to the Episcopal Church, where when, the, when their church out on Maslin Road took a position against the gay lifestyle, and against what their district was trying to say to them, this is what you have to do, that they lost their whole building, property, everything. They lost it. 
in the court. Many of us were witness for a couple of years through different type of contracts that pastors had signed here in Akron and wound up in court over their contracts and wanting the churches. And while I'm on this, whoever follows me, you never sign a contract with them. When somebody talk about a contract, show them the door. If they don't have a contract with Jesus Christ, the contract you sign won't mean a thing. But it will take you to court. You don't sign a contract. And there are those four areas that we've seen in court battles over the years. One, and the leading one, is property. The second one is employment. Because the church cannot segregate against somebody. So if we put it out in the paper that we're looking for a custodian, we cannot segregate if somebody gay or a different lifestyle showed up. I put myself on a very close line when we were looking for somebody to play the piano for us. And the young man was great. He was good. We heard him down here. But we got up in my office and I asked him, are you sleeping with young ladies? And he said, yes. And I told him, at that point, you have to agree to stop or we can't hire you to play the piano here. And he politely told me, he said, what I do outside the church is really none of your business. And he said, no. I'm out at Sam's Club and his father chewed me out about how we hurt young people who are trying to do something in the church and then we won't allow them to do it in the church. And all I could do there, me and Roger, just stand there and take the tongue lashing. Because there's no way I was going to protect us or protect myself from his feelings and his emotions about his son. So the only thing I could do is just hear it. So the church is in that court issue about who they hire. And the Catholic Church has seen this over and over and over again. The Methodist Church and the Episcopalian Church about employment and who they employ gay person or woman, you let a woman, if you put it out and say, we're looking for a pastor and a woman comes, you cannot segregate against her. That's one of the good part of being in a district or an army because then they got to fight that battle too. Why? I'm an official representative of CMA. And then they also have to pass what the CMA says. Guidelines. The third biggest thing is discipline. When you call yourself disciplining a member, you got to understand what Congress signed and put into law. Nobody can ever sign away their rights even though they become a member. So even when we do field trips here with the daycare and a parent signs the release for the child to go, they do not sign away their right to sue us if something happens on that trip. 
Because Congress said you cannot sign away your rights. And because you become a member, and this is where the two laws clashes. You got one law that was passed by Congress that says, boy, an entity or a person who is a member of something cannot sue themselves. It's like you falling on your sidewalk or your steps, but you want to sue your insurance company. Says you can't do it. But when it comes to a membership in a church, even though you're a member and you sense and feel that you've been assaulted or slighted, or you have not been dealt with fairly, you can sue. And that's the third highest suit when it comes to churches. You want to be very, very, very choose on where you're going to fight. Because you can lose everything over something that's very minute. And then the fourth one is the employees. You're responsible. When I step out of this church because of a title and because I'm hired, in a sense, by this church, my actions are accountable to this church. So even if I advise somebody wrongly out there, because who I represent can come back and sue this church. The whole issue boils down to this sometime. In our government, have we lost the advantage of it? I'll take Ireland back there. Ireland works for a good-sized company. He sees many people. But you let Ireland start talking about Jesus too much to his folks that are under him and see the threats that he gets. Or the people who come from outside to talk to him. Even over lunch to bring up Jesus, you want to be very cautious. And that's the whole thing about where we're at in our society today. And society is doing all it can do to protect itself from Jesus. Doing all that it can do. Now, there's a little statement. I want you to follow with me. Go back. To Matthew 11. Because sometimes you wonder, why do these little statements jump in here? Why are they there? And John has sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one that we are waiting on? Now, the government or authority has put John where at? In jail. Now John's trying to figure out, boy, for me being and suffering what I'm what I'm suffering for, is it right? And Scripture says sometimes you will suffer for righteousness. What? Sake. And John's trying to figure out, boy, am I really going through this for a good reason? 
And he asked Jesus, are you the one? Now I want you to understand there's two battles that go on when he says, boy, the kingdom is advancing by force. When you go against somebody, you go against somebody's philosophy, you go against somebody's teaching, you go against somebody's rule, you go against somebody's character, you go against them, that's a force that's coming against them that they're going to what? Force back. Science says to equalize that with one force, you got to have what? Another force. And he says the kingdom is advancing by force. Now I want you to think of a city with an army all around it. And the gospel is trying to get through this army. Or you're trying to get through this army. Now I want you to picture this. Around that person that you're trying to witness to and get through to, I want you to picture a host of demons around them that you're fighting to get to that person's heart. And that's what John's talking about, that this kingdom is advancing in war. And Scripture talks about us being in war. Scripture talks about us fighting. You hear Paul says, Boy, I fought a good fight. Well, what did he fight against? And you're fighting against something to be able to share with them the good news. Now, there are three positions that usually come up about this text. And usually you can run to a commentary and you can't find a lot on it. On that verse 12. They kind of like skip over it. But there's basically three positions on it. One that is from the days of John. That this kingdom is forcefully advancing. And two. It's advancing. But it's also suffering. When you're in a war you're going to have what? Casualties. Casualties. Now, stay with me because we're going to go back to that verse, but I want you to stay with me as we build on this. The second one is you yourself. There's the battle. You're grabbing for it. You're grabbing for it. You're running for it. Boy, that uh, yourself, you're, you're grabbing hold of truth. You're designed the kingdom of God. And you need to understand, when you desire that, there's a host that will fight against you. When you're designed to walk with Jesus, that's a fight. And thirdly, was that one that, boy, that's the Jews saw that Jesus would violently take over the kingdom or take over Rome. But this one, where we are fighting to grab hold of it, I believe is the true one. Because it's vigorous, it's energetic, it's pushing towards the kingdom, 
is something that you have to do. So you're fighting two battles. You're fighting the battle outwardly to advance to where God wants you to advance. You're also then fighting to advance yourself as you grow as a Christian. You're fighting that. How many of you fight laziness? Yeah. And, and you know something? The scripture talks about being lazy. You have to fight against that. Because everything in your body sometimes, boy, you want to do something, but you'll find something else real quick to substitute, to take its place. You know? You have to fight against it. You have to fight. How many of you love reading books? Hey? Hey? And guess what? A lot of times when you're ready to pick up a book, something wants to interfere with you. When you want to sit down and study, something wants to interfere with you. Sometimes Elaine will be walking around the house and she said, this phone just won't stop ringing. This phone... Because every time we're trying to do something, phone, you know. And you have to fight against that. And if you really want Jesus energetically, you've got to put forth some effort. If you want to grow in Christ, you've got to put forth some effort. If not, your laziness will kill you and you don't know it. And that whole process is this area where you have to really work at it. Now, go back with me. Go to verse 4. We're going to come down into verse 6 for a moment. Because I want you to see John's battle. John's battle for his inwardly and then his outwardly. His outwardly one is, boy, I'm here in prison. Some authority put me there for making a stand for what I believed in. And his other one is, boy, am I here for a good cause. Am I really here for a good cause? Or am I just here for nothing? And he hung back and he said, he sent his disciples in verse 2 to ask Jesus. And Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the news is preached to the poor. He, he, he gives them about six things. These are, boy, this is what's happening, John. And I tried to put myself in John's place, and I was saying, okay, Jesus, If you can raise the dead and you can heal the blind and you can heal the lamb and you can do this and you can do that, you can easily get me out of prison. You can easily remove me from where I am at this point. But remember also what the scripture is going to say in this text. It didn't start becoming forceful until John started what? Preaching. When John started preaching, he took over from where the prophets and the law left off, and he began to introduce the one 
that the prophecies ordained or said that was coming. And when he started preaching, he said the kingdom of God then, and then Matthew, boy, he's the only one who uses this kingdom of heaven 33 times, that it is a fight to be able to introduce it. So why would you think to witness to somebody is going to be easy? Why do you think to take a stand or a position in ministry that's going to attack a community or to help a community is not going to be fought against? Why is it that when you think you want to do something good to help others, there's not going to be a fight involved in it? And the thing is, you have to answer is this. Is it worth the fight? Is it worth going against the government? Is it worth going against authority? Is it worth going against the trends of society? Is it worth it? And he, he says, now listen to this in verse 6, because this is where we are. And it's kind of strange that it pops up right there. It says, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. John, blessed is the man who does not fall away because of me. I try to internalize that some. And I believe Jesus is saying this to John. Whatever action I take, don't you fall away from me. Whether I bring you out of prison or whether I leave you in prison, don't you fall away from me. Whether I take you out of your circumstances, whether I remove you from your problem, don't you fall away from me. For the blessing is not in so much what I'm going to do. The blessing is in our relationship. Not in what I'm going to do for you. So whether I leave you there or bring you out of there, don't you fall away from me. And blessed is the man who doesn't fall away from me based on what I do. Yes, you're in prison for speaking the law, speaking what God would have you speak. Yes, you're there for that purpose. And sometimes what you have to recognize is simply this. When your purpose is over, God's ready to bring you home, no matter what method that might be by. And John realizes his task is over. It is strange when you go through Scripture, you begin to find godly people really begin to recognize when their task is over. Paul re- recognizes it. I finished my course. I fought a good fight. He recognizes it. No. Elijah recognized it. No. Moses recognized it in passing the mentor on to Joshua. He recognized it. And when you really walk with God, I believe God prepares you 
Like my brother told me, this is the will of God for me. Because I know God could heal me of this cancer if he wanted to. But this is God's will for me right now. And see, this can be God's will. Is this God's will for John to be in prison? Yes. Did God allow the authorities to put him in? Yes. And then you see this force that's coming against John's own thinking. Are you the one? When you begin to think negatively about God, ask yourself this. What force is coming against you? When you begin to question God, ask him what force is coming against you. When you begin to doubt God's word, ask what force is coming against you. Because there's some kind of force that's coming against you. Why? To enter into the kingdom of God, you're fighting against something. To capture someone else's life, you're fighting against something. Understand, he gave you the armor that you might fight. And when you can't do anything else, he says, just stand. And he says, John, blessed is that man who doesn't fall away from me. Blessed is that man. Go with me to Luke 16, 16. Next week we're going to look at some positions about Paul. What he had to suffer through. Publicly even. In order to bring the gospel. To do ministry among people. And it's not that he was doing bad things. He was doing things that would help people. But look at the attacks that come at him. When you decide, hear me, when you decide to be obedient to God and do what God wants you to do, you're going to have attacks. But you press through it. You still believe God. Why is the scripture there? Greater is he that is in me than he what? Because he that's in the world is trying to stop you from scoring for the Lord. Playing football is a good example. They don't give you the ball and you just run for a touchdown and the defense just sit there and watch you. Look at him go. They do all they can do to keep you from crossing that line. Understand something. Those demons are going to do all they can do to stop you from completing the task that God has called you to do. Get rid of your negativeness. Get rid of people who say it can't be done. Understand, yes, analyze it. Really look at it. It can be difficult. My wife would tell me sometimes, no, if if I tell you, you're just going to say it can't be done. I got a good reason why I'm saying it can't be done. It's going to hurt this. But when it comes to the Lord, he says, you can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens you. And in that 1616, listen to what he's saying now. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. 
That's what stood before John. Now, I want to paint a picture. For 400 years, we don't hear from God. It's silent. Between the last prophet of the Old Testament, now we hear one who is John. And he says, for 400 years, we didn't hear. And then all of a sudden, here comes this John. Since that time, from the time of John now, catch it, from the time of John, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. Why is it that you're forcing your way into it? It is not only your mom and dad that sometimes stops you from seeking the Lord. It's not sometimes only your brothers and sisters that's stopping you from seeking the Lord. It is all your friends that may be saying or telling you not to do this. It is people around you. It is educators. It is everybody that is saying, you don't need Jesus. That's just some kind of philosophy. That's just a cane, a weakness for you to crawl up under, but the thing is you're pressing through, and I want you to understand this point, the biggest fight you have starts right up here with yourself it's right up here with your own unbelief and he says, you got to press through all that in order to enter in, you got to fight that battle in order to really walk with Jesus it's not enough to say oh I have a relationship with Jesus oh I know about God the question is are you walking with him is he using you are you in ministry for him can you see God's hand upon your life is he opening doors for you is he taking you through some tough situations that you didn't think you could make it through and yet you're getting through it he says They're pressing their way. They're pushing their way into the kingdom of God. How many of you are pushing? How many of you are really running after God? You're running after his kingdom. You're running after his word. You're running after. You're making every effort. You're using up your energy going after God. See, some of us sit home on Wednesday night and this and that. I'm tired. I'm tired. You'll be surprised because God said if there be a willing mind that's acceptable unto him, if you will to get out, he'll give you the energy to do so. Guess who gives you the energy to go out there and boogie-woogie? Guess who gives you the energy to do all these other things? When you decide to serve Satan, he gives you energy too. But when you decide to serve God, he'll give you energy. That you can step up. Now. He says boy. That everyone is forcing his way in. They're pushing. They're using energy. To get there. How much of your energy. In a day. Is used for the Lord. Oh I went to work. I'm tired. Was that work for you or was that work for the Lord? See, only you can answer that question. Because, see, you're the one who got to come to the place that, boy, God deserves 
me to use my energy on him. Catch this verse for me. Let everything that have breath do what? Question is, who gives you the breath? Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Let everything have breath serve the Lord. When you stop breathing, you got an excuse not to serve. When you stop breathing, you have an excuse not to praise him. But as long as you are breathing, you have an obligation and a responsibility as a Christian to keep fighting, keep praising him, keep pushing, keep growing, keep serving the Lord. Amen? And John again says, boy, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men, forceful men, forceful people. They fight that battle to gain what God has for them. If you don't fight the battle to gain, you won't get. Let me close with this here before. A friend of mine passed a few years ago. And the brother runs the business now. And I was sitting in the living room and the daughter and the son-in-law said, Pastor Brown, would you talk to mom? She said she should be getting close to ten to $15,000 a month out of the business. She has a right to over one point something million out of the business. And she said, every time we meet with my uncle, he wants to downgrade my mom, he wants to overtalk my mom, he just really wants to deny my mom. But his sister is going off to Paris and going to Germany and going here and going there. But she said, we can't get my dad's portion. She said, they paid her for about 15 months and then they stopped. I said, that's easy. Get you a corporation lawyer. And she just simply said, I don't want to fight his family. You can have something that is your godly inheritance. But if you're not willing to fight for it, you won't get it. You won't get it. And there's times you've got to be willing to fight in order to keep your Christian insanity. You've got to fight in order to walk upright with the Lord. You gotta fight every temptation and every trial and every stumbling block. You gotta fight it in order to stay in that fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you.
that, Lord, that John's eyes were open. And that John was able to see that, Lord, his suffering, it was worthy of him keeping the word of God. And that he had finished his course. He had ran his race. He has done what he was born to do. To be the one who would cry out repentance. To be the one who would prepare the way for Jesus Christ. And Lord, when that was over with, you brought John to yourself. And Lord, it allows us to see that Lord, we are in a battle. For us to advance as a church, we need to understand we're going to be in a battle. And we have to be willing to fight. And we have to be willing to pay whatever that cost might be that we can remain in the battle. And that we can even be part of that old song, I'm going to stay on the battlefield until I die. And that, Lord, we can understand that the battle is outwardly and the battle is also inwardly. That there's that force that comes against us. And sometimes, Lord, as James says, King James Bible says, it can be suffering violence because it's coming from someone else. But we have to suffer through that in order to proclaim this good news of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to be willing to pay the price. Help us, Lord, to be willing to run the race in which you have placed our feet upon. Help us, Lord, to remain faithful to you. No matter what government says, what state says, what is taking place, help us to remain faithful to you. And help us, Lord, as we battle before we go out to war, to count the costs. To weigh it, Lord. And to know if this is of you. Minister to us, Lord, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.